0: Hey folks, greetings from the Offensive Security Group here at Security360. Coming at you with a new episode of the Cyber Threat Perspective. You've got Spencer and myself, Brad. Uh, today we're talking about social engineering, and you know specifically we're going to talk a little bit about how to mitigate social engineering attacks. But you know I think first we have to talk a little bit about what they are, and 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 you know um, I would like to to touch on some ob- observations from our side because we've for whatever reason seen a big increase uh, in that, but. Before we get into that, you know, some quick admin. If you guys like what we're doing, please like, subscribe, share with your friends. It really helps us out a lot in getting the word out. So with that said, like for somebody who's never heard of social engineering, tell me about it.
1: Yeah, social engineering is, you know, the art of the con, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, if you think of modern day con men, uh, I think, you know, pen testers, red teamers and, you know, attackers are the modern day con men. So yeah. social engineering is literally just tricking someone, convincing someone to provide information. It could seem harmless information, you know, like about where the location is of, you know, a server room. You know, um, you walk into a building and try and social engineer somebody to figure out where uh, to go to plug in a USB stick to, to compromise uh, that organization. Or uh, social engineering can be considered... Uh, in the context of email phishing, right? So if I'm sending someone an email phish or if you're receiving a a phishing email from someone, uh, from an attacker or something like that, that's a form of social engineering. So social engineering is really just um, convincing someone to provide information, to click a link, to perform some action, kind of just tricking someone uh, in a sense. Uh, And that's kind of how I think about it. You know, manipulating people uh, to do things uh that you'd like them to do to to achieve your goals
0: yeah that makes perfect sense man and uh it comes in a lot of different forms and i think that if we try to start kind of categorizing things you start to realize that a big part of what we do uh is social engineering a big part of what the bad guys are doing the most effective types of attacks um you know 25 years ago we were launching metasploit against uh apache these days we're sending emails, tricking people into doing stuff for us. Uh, yep. It's just a lot more effective. Um, and and I dare say like tens of percentage points more effective. Um, it's pretty dangerous stuff.
1: Yeah. Cause you know, if, if an organization uh, has all their ducks in a row, they've, they've got all the controls in place. They've got endpoint protection and, you know, good firewall configurations and, you know, they're locked down tight. Right. And they have security guards at every door. Um, if I can just walk up to a, you know, a reception desk and, and you know, get a badge and walk on through or just tailgate somebody into a building, or if I can just send an employee an email and say, hey, log in here to access your you know, new HR uh, policy or records or something like that. If it's that easy, uh, attackers are gonna you know, use the path of least resistance, right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to burn anything um, unnecessarily, and uh you know they're gonna try to do things that make it easy for them because it's a business for a lot of them. It's a criminal enterprise right so they sure. want to use their time effectively just as as much as we do as security practitioners right um, so path of least least resistance is oftentimes social engineering
0: agreed no question and and I would say you know the people are the weak point I think is a common a common um uh I guess a common approach or a common perception. And I think it's true is that, you know, we previously in the IT security realm, the users weren't on the front lines and, and nowadays they are. And every, every user is a security practitioner or needs to be whether they are or not. And I think that, um, you know, that might be lost on some folks. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah. And I think, I think it's hard too, because I think there is a certain expectation that users should be, you know, should know enough to to prevent some of these things or mitigate themselves, and you know that's tough because you know we're asking users to um, to do things that are not you know necessarily in their comfort zone or to to spot things that are not necessarily in their comfort zone, and that's one of the things we'll get into. But um, you know, I think I think there's a good expect- I think there's a good expectation that users should have some awareness, right? I do yeah. um, of the threats that are out there, right? Um, and I think you know. F- my perspective on it is awareness and training are two separate things i think we hear a lot security awareness training um i think of it as two two separate buckets i don't know about you brad but i think awareness of threats right and what's out there what could happen what are the bad things you know how to spot those things and then training of okay how do i actually spot those things what do those things actually look like what do i do if i see one of those things and and that's those are kind of two buckets for me that i think though that kind of fits into that we as security practitioners can help you know train users on
0: 100 agree right so so words have meanings and meanings are important right? and so the concept of awareness straightforward is is just knowing that something exists right for example if users are completely unaware that attackers might leverage um, text messages sms messages to you know launch attacks against them then they're not going to be as um you know Pay, they're not going to be paying as so much attention to that, right? So we want to make them aware of the threats and the vectors and, and the different things that are going on. Um, but that's only half the battle. I do think that training is the other half. Um, you, you can combine them if you want to a degree from an execution perspective, but fundamentally they are different concepts. And I think you're actually doing yourself a disservice by trying to jam the two together. Yeah. I think you're going to be better off if you separate them and approach them you know, independently yep. of each other.
1: Yeah, because, you know, oftentimes what we see is just organizations will just send out phishing emails, right? They'll, they'll buy no before and they'll just send out phishing emails. And then that phishing email, like the user will click on the link and then a training video will launch. And that's great. Um, I think there's there's merit in some of that approach. But I think we do have to get to a point where we're teaching users like this is why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. This is what this means. Here's what to look for and kind of decouple it a little bit with the training so that users just aren't used to being, um, you know, trained in a way that they're going to expect that that phishing email and that click to to lead to a, a training landing page and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody learns differently, and, and you know, everybody takes in information differently. So a little video module module for somebody might be good, whereas saying saying an email with a written, you know, description of some sort of thing to watch out for, you know, hits people differently. So I think. You know, when we get to a a point where we're training people and and teaching people, uh, we have to take into consideration that everybody learns differently and takes information in differently um, and make it applicable to to a wide audience like that.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that for a lot of organizations, um, they want the easy button, right? A lot of folks are either out there checking that regulatory box saying that, yes, we do security training um, or you know, they don't want to invest in the time and effort and, and, you know, let's be frank money that's associated with a, a thorough training program. And I do think like, look, I'm a, I'm a fan of no before, right. Um, I think no before is a component of a larger user, user education program that should exist within these organizations. And it's our responsibility as employers, as security practitioners to give as much knowledge as we can. And, you know, um, back in a former life when I worked in banking environments, they didn't give just lip service to phishing. Um, you know, there were webinars, there were people who would come speak to you in person at gatherings. Like they invested in educating their user base, especially yep. those that are high risk stuff, right? So like mortgage officers, executives, things like that. And, and you guys that are out there who are running businesses or part of businesses, You know, consider doing a little bit more to Spencer's point, just so people, because I mean, look, I'm guilty of it too. When I get that mandatory user training, I click on it, it goes over to the other monitor and it plays while I do work or I click through it super quick, you know, and because I think I know what I'm, and I'm sure everybody does the same thing. Um, So, so it, it does kind of lend itself to getting bypassed pretty easily.
1: Yep. Yeah. and And the last thing I'll say about kind of the awareness of training aspect is, uh, when we do ISO audits, when we do you know our 360 audit or our IT security assessment, or even when we do pen testing, social engineering, offensive services, the organizations and the firms that have the best security culture—well, uh, yeah. let me say it the other way: the organizations that are best equipped to mitigate social engineering attacks are usually the ones that have a enhanced or a better understanding of these threats and kind of distribute the training across different mediums and kind of like you said they do uh, a variety of different trainings uh or awareness campaigns um to help build up that security culture and you know we have a number of clients that have uh, a really good security culture that we work with and the common thread is they take care in that program they invest in different formats and they speak to client uh, you know they speak to employees one on one and mm-hmm. you know they're they're there for them if they have questions about personal you know security topics or privacy issues so that's yeah. kind of a common thread that we see that you can kind of take and implement in in your firms if if you're not already
0: agreed hundred percent agree. So, you know, part of, part of this, a big part of this is giving the client the information, not, not the client, giving, giving the employee the information um, that they need and the tools that they need to do the job. Right. Like I think adding the little report phishing button into Outlook into the Outlook client by know before was one of the coolest yep. things that was ever done. And, and I have to imagine that had an a positive impact on, you know, users yep. and, 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 and their security, but that's only part of it we on the it security side have to do our own our own stuff right so what are some things that we can do from a tech stack perspective that that might help us on this yep. road
1: yeah you mentioned something really good and it's something i i didn't put in my notes to uh, initially um but that reporting button right having a technical way for users to report something suspicious other than just you know calling the help desk or like forwarding an email or something having that click button uh report a fish button is really helpful but beyond that, right, technical controls. We want to make sure that you know we're not um, just relying on users by themselves, right? We don't want a single point of failure. So, conditional access, multi-factor authentication, or some sort of secondary authentication, mm-hmm. especially for things that are mission critical, sensitive in nature, that kind of thing. Um, and thinking about it uh, from kind of a least privileged standpoint, in the sense, that, or a zero trust standpoint, in that you know the riskier the the system or the more sensitive, the data or the uh, more privileged, the account, the more control you should have around it. Right. And and the the, the more control you should have around authentication and where that occurs. So that would be my second kind of way to mitigate social engineering attacks: is good secondary authentication, good authentication controls and conditional access and those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, one of the things we're running into right now, and I mean on, on many engagements at the same time, like in the month of September, I can think of like four different engagements where they have MFA to a degree, but it's not across the entire enterprise or it's not across their entire footprint, um, you know, or they have an MFA enabled across their entire footprint, uh, but it's push notifications. Right. And and there's, there's you know, so we just push bomb them until prompt bomb until they they agree to it. So. Um, You know, you can pay these things lip service also. And it's really important that you are thorough and complete in your implementation of things like MFA. Um, You know, we run into companies routinely that just say, yeah, we got MFA. And then, and then through the course of the penetration test, we're like, yeah, you did for like everybody, but then there's these three people who have exceptions. And by the way, the people who you would need to make MFA exceptions for are the people you need MFA on the most, because Mm -hmm. they're the ones with password one, two, three, or their grandson's name and birth date, you know? And so just keep that in mind when you, when you're talking to people about exceptions.
1: And, you know, everybody listening can relate to this, right? Um, To what I'm about to say how many how many times has a, somebody in a leadership position or executive position, uh, you know, or some partner or something come to you and said, well, I, I can't have this. It's too difficult. It's getting in the way of my work, right? Like, I, I just can't do it. This, I I can't have this on my account. You need to fix it. And, you know, the, they're in charge. They pay the bills. Maybe they write the checks or they're your boss. And, you know, what do you do? Say no? And then, I mean, yeah. you know, um, so it's tough, right? It's tough when, when that things ha- those kinds of things happen. But... You know, regularly auditing those things, checking to make sure that MFA is enabled and that strong MFA is enabled, right, with number matching or some sort of thing. Uh, And again, conditional access can kind of really save you in in a lot of those
0: situations. Agreed, 100%. And, and, you know, it's like we always talk about, it's a layered approach. MFA is not a silver bullet. It it goes a long way, but it's part of security in depth, Um, if I could steal a buzzword for a minute um uh, all right so so what else we talked about mfa conditional access what what else uh can we do
1: yeah i'm the other things i kind of think of uh in this context is least privileged which least privilege which i mentioned right least privileged zero trust right um and think of it you know when we look at kind of the, some of the recent attacks right when we look at um you know the mgm attack the okta uh breach and and you know you look at any breach, right? Where there was social engineering. um, How can we uh, threat model that and play that out in our own organizations, our firms to say, okay, if somebody was to to social engineer this person, what access does that person have? Like what Mm -hmm. accounts does that person have access to? And what can they do with that account, right? So maybe the, for for an example, maybe help desk shouldn't be able to reset domain admin credentials, right? Maybe they can reset standard users, but not privileged accounts. Maybe right. you need somebody who's got uh you know a different level of access to be able to reset that. You kind of start to kind of put accounts into tiers, um same the same way you would with systems, right? You know, Microsoft is is famous for having a tiering system, um, you know, tier zero, tier one, tier two. Um, you can call it whatever you want, but essentially you don't want to be able to 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 cross So you, you don't necessarily want to have help desk be able to reset domain admin credentials, right? Or have uh, a third party help desk company be able to reset a global administrator account or something like that. Um, so thinking about how can we implement least privilege in the sense that, you know, restricting certain groups of users to certain things, uh, and only give them access to the systems and the accounts and, and the functionality that's required for their job, yeah. uh, and, and nothing more than that.
0: You know, I'll tell you something else that comes to mind, too, talking about this is accidental violation of the least privilege law, right? And so we see this a lot, and, and we've gotten into some heated discussions with clients about it when they're, for example, using the domain users built in group to assign security permissions, uh, which, by the way, don't do that, please. And so, uh, but but people do because it's easy, Right. And and then you know a year later somebody decides to you know start making changes or you know puts that that subgroup or whatever it's it's just the most important thing is is to be weary of the fact of how you're how, how you're managing these privileges because we often see scenarios where users have privileges and and most people don't even know that they do right um, because Active Directory is a complex animal. Um, You know, but this goes way beyond that. I just thought that was something interesting to bring up that we frequently see misuse and accidental issues of of overprivileged assignment.
1: Right. Yeah, and even in in, uh, Azure AD, which is now Entra ID and Microsoft 365, you know, granting users access to applications. You know, maybe you have a a default group with everyone and, you know, just give everyone access to the application. Well, maybe they don't all need it, right? And then maybe that, you know, adds to the attack surface a bit. So for sure.
0: Agreed. Agreed.
1: Um, kind of playing into that, and I mentioned it already, is, is kind of threat modeling, right? Um, take the, these breaches, these attacks on these organizations that are, that are public and the information that's out there and kind of play those attack scenarios out in your organization, right? Um, play that on, out on paper or do tabletops and kind of scenario those out to see, you know, okay, if this happened, you know, what would be the impact? right? That's why we do pen tests. That's why we do red teams and, you know, all, torts, all sorts of security assessments is to kind of help threat model that uh, and tabletop that for, for organizations. So play those scenarios out, figure out, you know, what would happen if this thing occurred and, and what would the impact be? What, did, what does that account have access to, right? If it, if it got compromised and kind of do that preemptively and proactively um, to kind of mitigate social engineering attacks in the future.
0: Yeah, I agree. In, in a big part of this, you admit, you hit on it earlier uh, talking about the security culture. Um, we have run into situations in the past where doing these types of threat model engagements or tabletopping where there is this stigma of if I fail or if I don't do well, that it reflects negatively on my security organization. And that is absolutely not the case where it shouldn't be. Right. If you take a tabletop you know, report to an executive and they get mad at you because you didn't perform well, that's not really what we're doing here. What we're doing here is giving you opportunities for improvement. So yep. you know, we need to come at it from that perspective because this is not designed to be punitive. This is not designed to be um, you know, a negative outcome kind of thing. Yep. We're really just trying to find ways for you to be better and uh you know you can you can see a notable difference in a security positive organization and an organization that treats security like it should be punitive um and and it's kind of a bad place to be so yeah. so keep that in mind
1: yeah and when we're doing pentests uh and tabletops uh you know incident response tabletop exercises and things like that i enjoy the moments where we're like okay so what do we have for this thing or what's in place for that or what controls do you have in place you know, to mitigate this type of thing and there's nothing or there's no response or, or it's a weak response i love that right because it's like mm-hmm. one we identified that figured out there was a gap there and called it to attention now you can actually do something about it right yep. the worst case scenario is you go you, you know you look at your security program your environment and you don't know what you don't know and yeah. so by doing that we call it out we bring attention to it we're like okay here's how you fix this thing um, before something bad happens. Uh, so that's great. And I, and I agree. I think those things should be emphasized in, in kind of not, um, you know, looked off, looked on as like a scarlet letter or anything.
0: Agreed. Agreed. All right. So I like this last one that you have here. I think it's a good wrap up topic for us. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about like kind of where you're coming from, from a defense and death perspective.
1: Yeah, I think defense in depth kind of wraps this this all up into a whole, right? And what we said earlier at the beginning was, you know, awareness and training, and not relying on users alone to be, um, you know, that that one stop, uh, the one control to stop everything, right? Not relying on users um, because we don't want to create a single point of failure, right? We talk about defense in depth or layered controls or or layered defense, whatever you want to call it. We don't want to rely on any one single thing, any one single control to mitigate social engineering attacks, right? The goal is to, you know, if a user does get fished, that shouldn't take down the organization, right? That shouldn't compromise the security of all of our other systems or the environment as a whole. Um, so that's kind of what I think about with defense in depth is thinking about security and your strategy and your architecture um, like an onion or whatever you, you know analogy you want to use and and making sure that you build redundancy into those systems so that if something fails, you know um, the the whole house doesn't come crumbling down.
0: agreed and And I guess my question would be, I think I think everybody would agree with defense in depth from a concept perspective, right? I think you start getting into how can I have a more in-depth defense? And those are the questions we answer when we're doing threat modeling. Those are the questions that we answer when we're doing tabletops and pen tests and things like that, you know, and, and so the amount of jaws that hit the floor when you switch off EDR, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're like, oh, wow, all of my eggs were in that basket. Now I'm blind and I have no idea what's going on. And we're like, okay, so that's a problem. Yeah. Let's, let's start there, you know? And, and so Uh You know, you, you'll get that a, a lot, I think. And I, and I think you probably have some experience with it too, but yeah, you, you have to test this stuff. You know, it's the only way to find the gaps. It's the only way to find opportunities yeah. to add that depth to your defense.
1: Yeah. And I think stepping through a typical attack, right. Um, and saying, okay, what if that fails? Right. So social engineering start, start from the very beginning, you know, user gets fished. Okay. What if email filtering doesn't work? Okay. The email lands in their inbox. Yeah. What if um you know clicking that link maybe you have some sort of um you know protection right like Microsoft has their safe links or Proofpoint mm-hmm. has stuff and you know what if that fails right okay the user goes to the website what if that fails okay the user enters their credentials okay. what if the threat actor gets the credentials okay we have MFA what if they do um some sort of attack where you know um they steal a, a team session right or um uh, you know uh you know, get access can to an elicit grand way, attack right?
0: or something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or a man in the middle attack uh, or a session in the middle browser in the middle, whatever the common, you know, fancy buzzword is. Um, so stepping through that attack and saying, okay, what if this fails? What if this doesn't work? What else do we have in place? You know, all the mm-hmm. way through the endpoint, right? What if the EDR doesn't work or doesn't catch it or it's yeah. off? What if the user gets local admin rights? You know, what do they have access to? What, what can happen? Um, so kind of just stepping through that life cycle and saying, what if, what, you know, what if it didn't work? What if this, um, you know, thractor gets to this point point?" Uh, and kind of scenarioing that out, I think is really helpful for kind of figuring out what potentially you have in place and what your gaps are for defense and depth.
0: hundred percent agree with all of that, man. Uh, and, and a big help in that is looking at the moderate attack framework too, by the way, just to, you know, and, and all of this stuff, yep. guys, you don't need... To go out and do uh, an expensive third-party tabletop slash purple team slash whatever, right? To do these things, Um, you can do this internally, right? If you have the skill set internally, go out, grab the MGM scenario, go out, combine that with a minor attack framework, put together a step-by-step guide, and you know, in in a couple of hours, you can get a few people in a meeting and say, "Hey, guys, can we identify any gaps that we have based on what we know to be current attack?" Um, you know, vectors. So you know, and this, this and can if, be done.
1: Yeah, um, and if you want to actually run things like hands-on keyboard, Atomic Red Team is really great yeah. for that. It's a free source, a free source of TTPs that you can execute on your machines mm-hmm. um, that are completely safe. They're not going to to harm anything, and you can actually test your your readiness and your preparedness for those things, uh, and whether yeah. they alert or not, whether they're blocked, all sorts of things. Uh, so that is out there as well
0: sweet totally agree with that anything else to close you, us out
1: I, I thought when you brought up the miter things you were going to bring up the the hundred percent evaluation thing i thought, you were gonna uh, make a joke. I, thought I was getting should. ready
0: we should that'll okay, be another so, so okay all right fair enough um yeah because also if you just buy this one product then you know 100 yep. coverage on the entire miter framework
1: yeah yeah and i think i think we all know uh, <laughs> i think everybody in the industry knows you know there's no such thing as 100 percent. you know we can never be 100 percent secure and even if you have all these things that we talked about in place and you're doing, you know, you have five stars and all those things, there's still going to be that one thing that could, you know, bring it all down. There right? is. So being prepared, having backups, you know, doing all the IT stuff well is still important, right? Like we have to do the security stuff, but we still have to keep the lights on. We still have to keep, you know, systems updated and, and patched and moving and, you know, all those IT administrative things yeah. um, we still have to happen too. And those are important as well yeah.
0: and and look man even the most mature organizations that we work with with the most advanced cybersecurity program that spend the most money have the most tools they do everything how many of those pen tests come back with zero findings yeah none right so there's always opportunities for improvement there are always gaps there are always you know cracks in the armor so yeah nothing's 100 percent, that's for sure
1: yeah it's it's resiliency you know it's it's building in redundancy um layered defense and
0: resiliency to attacks is, you know, how I kind of think about it. Agreed. hundred percent. Well, folks, that's all we have for you today. Thank you for listening and or watching. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, like, subscribe, all that good stuff really helps us out. We'll see you next Wednesday.